A guy named Daniel, he lives in Canada and he owns his own cleaning company. And back in 2015, he was looking for a unique way to advertise his business. And there was gonna be a local community parade and he thought that would be a really, really excellent place to advertise his business because a lot of places advertise. But he didn't wanna do the normal thing of setting up a table or handing out giveaways or, or different things like that. Instead, he decided to go in a very different direction. Instead of uh, any of those normal things, he decided to fly over the parade in a lawn chair. Like if you've ever seen the movie Up, where uh, an elderly man attaches balloons to his house and <laughs> floats away, I mean, that's fiction. But Daniel actually did that in reality, not to a house, but to a lawn chair. He tied 100 helium balloons to a lawn chair. He sat in it and it lifted him above the parade as a banner advertising his business flew, flew behind him and he got airborne. He went about 14,000 feet in the air. At one point, a 747 jet flew underneath him. <laughs> um, he realized once he got in the air, he didn't know how to steer. He hadn't thought that far through, and so he never actually got to the parade. And after about an hour of floating in the air, after he was about six miles away from the parade, he started getting kind of scared because the wind started blowing him around and he felt very, very unsafe. So once he got a little bit closer to the ground, he unbuckled himself from the lawn chair and fell down to the ground. Um, I believe he rolled his ankle or broke his ankle. He got hurt in some kind of way, and then he was arrested. <laughs> and, uh, and Daniel who eventually got a nickname. The, uh, the news people started calling him the Balloonatic. Uh, Daniel eventually had his day in court for apparently not, um, not getting permission to fly a lawn chair over, over a parade. And, uh, and in court, the judge handed him a $20,000 fine. And, um, and it was after he got the $20,000 fine that Daniel said in front of the court that he would do it all over again, that it was entirely worth it, that it was the greatest experience of his life. So in other words, a great life, according to Daniel, is one in which he gets to fly over everybody in a balloon-powered lawn chair. <laughs> What's your definition of a great life? I want you to think about it this way. Imagine that you and Jesus are walking along, just the two of you. And at one point he stops and he looks at you and he says, How you doing? How you doing? And you respond by saying, Jesus, I think it would be really great if, but I want you to finish that sentence. What would you say if you knew that Jesus was going to do anything for you? What would you ask him to do? That's basically what we're going to be looking at this week as we look at an incident with two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, when Jesus really, he asks them that question. He asked them the question, what do you want me to do for you? And they were really happy to hear that question, I think for the same reason you and I would be. Because we sometimes wonder if we're going to be okay. I don't know what was on their minds that day when Jesus talked to them, but maybe you wonder if your marriage is going to make it. Maybe if you wonder if your kids are going to keep their faith. Maybe you wonder if the cancer is going to go away. Maybe you wonder if your life is making any kind of real difference or if anyone's going to miss you when you're gone. Those aren't always easy questions to answer. Which is why it's such a great thing that Jesus offered to his disciples the opportunity to find not just good answers to what might make a good life, but the promise of what makes a life great. And in this discussion with them, and in the section that we're going to be reading from, yeah, he really does exactly that. He showed them not only that they didn't really have any kind of idea of what makes for a great life, but he also showed them that a great life 
one that makes the best kind of difference, the greatest kind of difference in this world, it's really not out of reach for anyone. So here's the section where uh, we're going to be looking at this week. Kind of a longer section, but it goes like this. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, to Jesus. Teacher, they said, We want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard this, so the other ten disciples, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And really, whatever your definition of greatness is, Jesus has already given you his, and that is to serve, to serve you, which means that your life is already considered pretty great to him. And we'll be looking at how that applies to our everyday lives as we go through this week. We'll see you tomorrow. This week we're taking um, a bit of an in-depth look at a conversation Jesus had with two of his disciples, James and John, in which Jesus is defining greatness and James and John are looking to be great. And up until this point in Jesus' ministry and his relationship with James and John, James and John had seen him do some really, really amazing things. They saw him raise someone from the dead. They saw him calm a storm. They saw him feed thousands of people. Um, they saw all these different miracles. And what all those miracles have in common is that Jesus just spoke and it happened. That's it. He just spoke and the miracle happened. And at the same time, Jesus was regularly telling his disciples what a great thing it is to be a part of his kingdom. And so it seems that James and John put those two things together when they made their request of what they wanted from Jesus. They, they wanted these great places in, in Jesus' kingdom. They just wanted Jesus to speak the word so that they would be given a great place in his kingdom. And Jesus responded to their request by saying, you guys have no idea what you're asking. <laughs> um, I mean, it's true that Jesus can pretty much speak and do anything. He can heal the sick and raise the dead and stop a storm, you know, just, uh, just, by, shh, just by hushing it and, you know, shushing it. He can, just, he can just do those things. But the one thing that Jesus cannot just do, cannot just speak and make happen, is he cannot just give somebody greatness in his kingdom. He said that that's something that needs to be, if you remember what we read yesterday, needs to be prepared. That needs to be prepared by somebody. And think of... Yesterday we talked about the um, Daniel, the balloonatic, who flew above the parade in a balloon-powered lawn chair. Just think about uh, every preparation that needed to take place in order for him to have what he considered the greatest day in his existence. He needed to take time to prepare the 100 balloons and fill them with helium. He needed to prepare the sign that was hanging off the lawn chair when he was flying up in the air. Uh, he needed to prepare the lawn chair. He needed to make all these preparations. And all those preparations, they all cost something. That's something they all had in, com in common. They all cost something. So his greatness, it came at a cost. And Jesus was telling James and John that the same is true of greatness in God's kingdom. It costs something. It comes at a cost. And he told them exactly what that cost is. When he said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. 
For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Yesterday, when I asked you to think about what would you ask Jesus for if you could ask him for anything, whatever it was, did you expect him to give it to you for nothing? For no cost? Because there is a cost to greatness in God's kingdom, and Jesus says very clearly what it is here. It is, well, he used his own life as an example. It is your life, the whole life and nothing but the life. If you want to be great, you must be a servant. If you want to be first, Jesus says we must be willing to slave away for someone else's benefit, just like he did for us. And tomorrow we'll take a look at what that looks like as we carry out those instructions. A while back, I saw a story about a teenager named Derek who lived in Arkansas. Uh, Derek's mom was very sick, and so she was unable to work and unable to provide for Derek and his many siblings, and so Derek is the one in the family who went out to work. He worked at UPS and earned $11.90 an hour just loading and unloading boxes. And the UPS plant where he worked was five miles away from his house, but because he didn't have a car and there was no public transit, he walked to work every day and back home again, making the 10-mile round trip day after day after day, walking, getting up early enough for a shift that always started at 4 a.m. And he was never late. Uh, Derek's story is just one of the many stories, one of the many examples that you could find in the world of the type of what the type of attitude that Jesus is describing in the section we're looking at this week looks like. An attitude of service. And that's what Jesus considers great. And Jesus says it's not an attitude that should just sometimes dictate what we're doing, but it's the only attitude that should dictate what we're doing. And think about what that means. If my only goal is to serve, then that means I should never be concerned at all about whether or not I'm going to be rewarded for doing that. If my only goal is to slave away for someone's benefit, then that means that I should never be concerned about gaining any type of higher status, which means that my happiness and my satisfaction should never go up and down based on how many people like me or notice me or appreciate me or, uh, or tell me that I'm doing great things for them. If my only goal really is to use my whole life for everyone else's benefit, that means I should continue to serve people even when they hurt me. Even when they don't consider how their actions are going to affect me. That's the attitude of Jesus. In the book of Philippians, it says this. I mean, the expectation is your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. That's what it says. That's what greatness looks like. That's the kind of life that Jesus says makes the greatest type of difference and tomorrow we'll talk about why that's sometimes a hard attitude to put into practice. As we look at this conversation this week between Jesus and his disciples James and John in which they're talking about greatness and what greatness looks like and how we become great in his kingdom, Jesus asked them an interesting question. He asked them, can you drink the cup that I drink? And they answered, well, yes, we can. And then Jesus said, well, you will indeed drink from my cup. And do you know what he meant by that? The cup that he was talking about was the cup of suffering. It's that just as Jesus was going to hurt in his life, he was promising James and John that they would hurt too, even as they followed him. And that certainly turned out to be the case. Uh, James, as far as we know, was the first of Jesus' disciples to be killed for his faith. Um, John, he wasn't killed early on as a, as a young man for his faith. He was, um, 
he went through a lot of torture. He went through some imprisonment. He was, he was whipped, he was beaten, and then he lived out his last days in a lonely island prison. And why did those things happen to those guys? Because they were doing the exact thing that we mentioned yesterday that all Christians are supposed to be doing. When it says in Philippians, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. That's what they did. They put it into practice. And it wasn't always easy for them to do that. And that's really the responsibility for all of us. We have a responsibility as Christ followers to show the world the attitude of Christ, no matter how hard that sometimes is for, for overworked moms and for overlooked dads and for ignored spouses and for, and for friends and neighbors and coworkers and strangers who sometimes wonder why they should keep trying to show love and show concern for others who don't seem to be returning, who, uh, who don't seem to be returning the favor. But since Christians really are the only people in the whole world who can show the world the attitude of Christ, then we also need to recognize what will happen if we don't do that. If we go through life looking to be served before we look to serve, if we go through life looking to receive before we look to give, if we go through life asking ourselves constantly, what's in it for me before we decide to do something nice for a friend or enemy, then we're really robbing the world of well, we're preventing them from seeing what a beautiful thing the attitude of Christ really is. Who also knows how hard it is to serve and to give. And yet he did. He did. He served and he gave his whole life one precious drop of blood at a time. So that anyone who has ever had the goal of being loved or forgiven or great in God's kingdom could know something really important that you actually already are. You already are those things simply because he came and he gave so that you could walk through life knowing that your place in the greatest kingdom of all where every last tear is wiped away is already your possession. And that greatness came at a cost. It did cost something. It just didn't cost you anything. Jesus paid that full cost all by himself, when he gave his life. Which means, for you, what the impact that has, that has on the rest of your life is this. You can stop working so hard to try to find something that Jesus has already prepared for you, and something that Jesus has already given you. And your job in life is simply to enjoy being great in God's kingdom. And we'll finish up tomorrow by taking a look at what that looks like in your life. Do you remember Derek? Earlier in the week, we talked about Derek, the teenager who walked the 10-mile round trip to and from work every day to take care of his family. Well, there was one day after he had been on the job for a while that his supervisor told everyone to stop what they were doing and gather around for a few announcements, which wasn't all that unusual. But something unusual happened at the end of those particular announcements that day where he got through his announcements and then he turned and he looked at Derek and he said, Derek, we don't want you walking to work anymore, buddy. And then he reached in his pocket, took out a set of keys, tossed it to Derek and told him that everyone there had pitched in to buy him a car and also pitched in enough to cover his auto insurance for the first, for the first year. Derek worked very hard to provide for his family. He wasn't looking to be rewarded by anyone, and yet he was by some friends who just wanted him to know that, that they had his back.
just like God has yours. There's a passage in the Bible that says as much. There are many, <laughs> there are many passages in the Bible that says that, but there's one in particular I'm thinking of where it says that our God is able to do abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. Abundantly more. I'm not promising that God is going to give you a car, but if he already gave you the life of his son, if he already planted a cross deep in the ground and declared, used that cross to declare your value in front of the whole world, in front of everyone, do you really think he's not going to be there for you and give you exactly what you need when you go out into the world and give your life and service to him? He'll be there. Go and serve your friends and families. Slave away for the benefit of your spouse and your children. Fill the lives of others with good things by giving and giving and giving and giving, recognizing that really the secret to fixing our broken communities, the secret to healing broken families, the secret to binding broken hearts, it's not out there somewhere. The secret is you. It's the great life that God has already given you. Go and be great, my friends, and show the world what a great life really is. Hey everyone, Pastor Mike here from Time of Grace. Hey, thanks so much for taking your time to listen to this message. We would love so many other people to hear about this message too. So if you could think of someone in your mind right now that could use this, we would love for you just to take a moment and share it. Um, that's essentially how people hear the good news of Jesus, believe it, and find eternal life in his name. Thanks for sharing and have a great day.